Hello, welcome to Creating Portland. I'm your host, Pearson Coons, and on this podcast, I'll be interviewing progressive creators who are using their art to shape the culture of our city and beyond. I hope you enjoy this episode of Creating Portland. everybody. Welcome back. I am here with a very exciting guest. Her name is Saucity Chiracuzio, and uh, she ran an X-rated open mic called Dirty Queer for nine years at the uh, In Other Words store, and it was a fundraiser for the venue as well as a safe gathering space to explore and share performances about sex, sexuality, gender, and it also spun off into writing workshops and other events. Uh, She also wrote a column called Embody and news articles for PQ Monthly for several years and has since published a memoir and dozens of essays and poems in various journals and anthologies. Most recently, uh, Saucity has revived Dirty Queer online as both a curated open mic and a literary arts journal, as our need for queer spaces has only increased given the pandemic and the administration. Ugh, I could not agree more, and I am so <laughs> excited to get into it with you, Saucity. Saucity, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you. Me too. I'm so glad you're here. Well, let's get into it with our big, broad opening question. All right. Which we've gotten into a little bit in your <laughs> bio already, and it's just, how are you helping to create Portland through your work? Well... My whole reason for performance, because I'm really actually a backstage person, or always had been until Dirty Queer, I had never emceed or hosted or produced an event before I dove very deeply into that pool with that event. Um, But the reason for it for me is to help create spaces for marginalized voices. That's my whole reason for performance spaces. So... You know, who's getting the mic? Who's getting the stage? Who's getting a chance to share their stories? What are those stories? Um, That's from my activism place, from my personal art place. uh, I moved here from Tucson, Arizona um, in 2004 and found that I was having the same problem here as I had there, which I wasn't expecting, which is uh, I couldn't find the right place to read my poetry. Um, I don't know why a poem about fisting was just so shocking everywhere that I tried to take it, for example. That's not the only thing I write poetry (laughs) about, but, you know, um, there would just be this, like, shocked silence. Um, Mm. And I realized that I needed an X-rated open mic, and nobody was doing that, so I'm a go-getter. I decided I would just do that. And uh, surprisingly, the feminist bookstore was on board and offered me a Friday night spot, and there we went. So I was terrified and completely didn't know what I was doing, but it felt important. Um, And I wasn't sure how it would go, six o'clock on a Friday night, you know. Um, But uh, there were like 40 people the first night that we did it, um, which is a significant amount of people for an open mic. Absolutely. It really, and the next time we did it, there were 70 people. And the next time we did it, there was 120 people that showed up. Oh my gosh which said to me that this is a conversation people had been wanting to have. Mm. And these were stories and poems that people had been wanting to share and wanting to hear. Um, 
And so it was a monthly open mic for the first five years, um, every second Friday of the month. And we, we averaged out at about 100 people every time. Um, Whoa. So, and it, you know, when you say an X-rated open mic, people might have a really specific picture in mind. Mm. But bear in mind, this is a feminist bookstore. There's, it's not a bar. The stage was like this high, <laughs> barely a stage. Folding chairs, brightly lit, where all can see each other very clearly. This very vulnerable, tender space, it turned out to be. Um, and with an open mic, of course, you have no idea what's coming. Um, so that was always an adrenaline rush. Um, it's like just, it's such, a, such an intense topic. Um, we had some very basic ground rules about consent and um, and me just standing by the side of the stage hoping for the best every time. Um, <laughs> but people started really getting vulnerable and really getting creative. We had, of course, stories and poems, but we also had songs and we also had um, magic tricks and circus acts and okay. um, balloon, not animals. <laughs> <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorites, this person made balloon harnesses and phalluses, the oh. same sort of twisty balloons. Yes, yes, right? yes. And, and did that for a couple of people who then went and sat down. So the whole rest of the night, every once in a while, you'd hear a pop and everyone's like, oh, like we were all very invested. <laughs> in these balloons staying. In these balloons staying, right? Um, the first couple of times, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to get up the courage to sign up for an open mic. In general, so there mm -hmm. we had um, we did some uh, um, off-the-cuff haiku circles, you know, just just like just trying to break the ice. But once people got into it, um, we usually had twelve to twenty people on the sign-up sheet. So we'd go through like two hours of open micness, and um, and people started talking about it the as church was the word that they used mm. which is really maybe surprising considering but it, it felt like that in the sense of um, we were coming together to express our faith in that it was okay to be who we are that mm. it's okay to be queer it's okay to be trans it's okay to be kinky it's okay to have these thoughts or these desires or these identities or these genders or these ways of being in the world and to be validated and celebrated and honored um, in that way and to hold that space for each other. Um, you know, I mean, people did meet other people and there were definitely dates and relationships okay. and hookups and parties and things <laughs> that happened afterwards, but, but the feeling of it um, was community, which is, why, even though it was you know, an adrenaline rush, and I'm not an adrenaline seeker, to run an X-rated <laughs> open mic, and to do that every second Friday of the month for five years, and to to show up and to keep that happening and to hold that space, it's easily the most sacred thing I've ever done. Mm. Um, and after about five years, you know that thing that happens with long-term relationships. You just kind of like, you're like, well, I'm kind of tired. I'll go next month, I'll sign up next month. It just sort of like the combination of the long-term and that, and I, I see this as a success of the event, that people didn't have the same need because mm -hmm. we had normalized those conversations. 
we had normalized that kind of sharing in a way, like not taking personal credit for that, but I feel like collectively, because so many people were coming and going through there and then taking what they experienced there out into the world with them, there wasn't the same need for it, mm-hmm. which is good. That means we met that need in some ways. So then I reevaluated and took it to a quarterly open mic because you're going to want it more if you know that if you miss right. out, you're going to have to wait another three months for that. Um, <laughs> and th- so then it up and up again a little, and then it sort of died down again a little, and it was like, well, if the need isn't there, then then let it let it run its natural course mm. and see what else make way for something else step back and make space for someone else to create something um which i feel like again with the relationship metaphor you know we've got this mythology that if it ends that means it failed Mm. which is not is not necessary that's why you know it's not dirty queer was not prince charming it was (laughs) it was what was needed then for that Mm. um so you know, people were sad, I was sad, but it felt right. But in the years since then, people have asked for it and asked for it, and I just didn't, I just didn't have it in me to revive it with my own disability stuff and chronic pain stuff and the amount of energy that that takes and what that looks like. But then once we were all stuck at home, now we really need that space. We're really yeah. missing that connection and that feeling of like looking out and seeing a bunch of queer and trans folks looking back at you and mm. like reflecting you and validating you. I was like, all right, well, let's try it once and see, do, do people need it? How does it feel? Does it, does it meet the need in the same way? And we had about 64 people show up okay. um, and it's curated now <laughs> for two reasons. One, I, I don't want the adrenaline rush anymore of not knowing what's about to happen. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's fair, that's fair. Much, but also, I want to very deliberately shift that space of who gets the mic, mm. you know? So the priority is for um, black and indigenous and people of color. The priority is for trans folks. The priority is for disabled folks. So mm. by having it curated, we can make sure that marginalized voices are being lifted and centered. Mm. Um, which feels really important, especially right now. So the first one, huge success. It felt really great. It actually felt like being in the room with a bunch of queer and trans folks. It was quite the lift for everyone. It was very exciting. Um, It was so exciting that in the moment I committed to doing it again the way that you do. Classic. Um, And then we tried to do it again last month, and we got Zoom bombed. Okay. Which is horrible. For those of you who, di- for those of our listeners who don't know what that is, especially in it's, the queer space, what does that look like? If you're comfortable sharing, it looks sharing? like a whole group of people being gay bashed all at the same time Ugh. in a space that we're trapped. That suddenly feels like we're trapped in. So, mm. um, in this case, it, there were either two or three people. We are, we're not quite sure who came in together and started bombarding. And we had, we had implemented security measures, but they, were fig- they figured out how to get around the muting. They kept unmuting themselves and making really loud, horrible noises that, and, that are distressing. And, and they were also copying and pasting 
every ugly thing you could say about somebody yeah. into the chat screen over and over again. And they were changing their names the way that you can do so we couldn't find them to, to boot them. Mm. Um, it, was, it, it's a, it was a nightmare. It was definitely my personal nightmare of, of people in a space that I created being traumatized. Like I just, right. um, so basically the building's on fire, everybody has to leave. I just had to shut it down because there's no yeah. salvaging it at that point. So we're definitely gonna be taking even more and stronger security measures. Um, because the event's called Dirty Queer, because it's located in Portland, we are probably targeted. Right. It was definitely like a, you know, Proud Boys on a Saturday night kind of a situation. Um, mm. So it was really jarring and, a, and an ugly reminder of exactly, exactly how not fixed things are in this country exactly how right. homophobic and transphobic and racist and ableist and everything that this country really is, you know, that the same way as the election showed that it was so close is horrifying. Right. It's not surprising, but it's horrifying that we are, we are so almost evenly divided between everybody's important and only these few people are important in this country, you know? So, um, but, but we're gonna do it again anyways, because Bash back, I guess. No, yes. that's not that's not quite it. Okay, but wait. Yep. <laughs> I'm getting the chills in the moment. I'm agreeing, I'm agreeing. But yes, it yeah. still is so important. And you're right, it just shows how important it is even more so to do it again. Because these people are out there and they are if they're not zoom bombing you, they're in the streets. And you yep. can't know who they are either. And you can't kick them out of the streets and you can't kick them out of your city. Just like you couldn't kick them out of the Zoom thing. So it's still yep. just as important that we have those safe spaces to be expressive. Or at least as safe as we can make them. So, right. you know, we're going we're gonna to do the best we can. We're going to make it as hard as possible. And we're going we're gonna to keep going on. Because it's more important to resist and persist than, to, um, than that false sense of safety that we could get by not risking anything at all. Mm. So. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're also doing an online journal, which just launched. So we're accepting okay. submissions of um, word of poems and prose and creative nonfiction and artwork um, so that we can take up space on the internet nice. in a way that lots of people can access as well. So um, it's pretty exciting. Very cool. And what I love about you is you, not only are you an artist yourself, but you're investing so much energy and time in creating space for other artists and lifting up other artists too. And that's creation in itself. And that's art in itself. You talked about being an MC for the first time. That's one of those sort of mediums we don't really talk about in the art way, in the same right. way, but it's totally creative and exciting and you're curating now which is just another essential part of artistry <laughs> for these next events so that's really cool right. yeah thank you yeah it's uh, a lot of people don't i mean even just hosting an event mm -hmm. if you're doing it with intention mm -hmm. is is an art form as well and that's one reason to do it is to create the space and one reason to do it is to model how to create that kind of space you know right. like who's being centered what kinds of access are you including? How are you, you know, who are you sharing it with? Um, 
why are you doing it? Is it an ego boost? Just not automatically inherently a bad thing, but if it, that's the only purpose, you know, is it to be the star or is it to help other people shine? You know, like what is what is the agenda? What is the purpose? Who is it for? Um, these are questions that I, who's invited? Do they know they're invited? Can they actually get in the room? <laughs> Whatever that looks like, you know. Um, and as someone who, when we could still go do things, couldn't go do many things because I'm, I have multiple chemical sensitivities. So I have literally had conversations with event producers that uh, I'm like, you know, as, as many other disabled folks will recognize this process, you see a fun event online, <laughs> you go and look at the information, you have no idea if you can go or not. Is there, mm -hmm. is it accessible? What kind of seating? You know, uh, where is it at? How can you get there? Because there's lots of kinds of access. Um, so I have to write and ask lots of questions to see if I can even be there. And I've had conversations with event producers that are like, well, I hear you that a fog machine will make you sick for three days, but it's really important to the feel of our space. So uh, we're going to do it anyways. Yeah. And I think too, in this time, a lot of people are feeling as though these, these zoom meetings and these zoom gatherings are in some way like a regression or some sort of like hindrance on gathering and art. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to have your perspective saying this is actually more accessible and more inclusive and more progressive in a lot of ways to open it up to people in this kind of virtual world. I've been to more events this year than the last three years combined. And this yeah, is true for many that. of the folks that I know that are disabled. Like, we actually can go now because I can be, I can get my right. needs met. And because I'm not counting on someone else to make that possible because it, it can be hard. I have sympathy. It's, it's hard to find an accessible building. It's hard to implement a scent-free policy. It's hard to, it's hard. It's work. It's, you know, but mm -hmm. like, it's important work. But now that it's online, I can take care of those needs myself for the most part. Yes. So. Oh, wow. And yeah, everyone that's hosting a Zoom meeting out there, y'all, you are all artists. So take it as seriously as Saucity is and put these things into consideration because this is an art form and it's becoming one that we're having to use more and more often. Which And even when we go back to, well, or forward, hopefully. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather not go back to normal, honestly. I would rather go forward to something better, and that's Absolutely. not an original thought, but um, it, it, I don't, it shouldn't be an either-or. If you're having an event in a physical space, set up a camera yeah. so that it can also be a virtual space. Like, Why mm. not bring more people in? Why would you not want to have more people be able to be involved? Right. You know? Unless it's just, I want to have a party with the other pretty people that feel like me and look like me and act like me and think like me. Right. And when we're being honest, <laughs> that might be what it is. Well, that kind of actually brings us into our second sort of segment, which is what are the things that you're liking and are working for you about the Portland art scene? And then what are our areas of improvement? Where should we be doing the work? And we've got a little bit of that so far in this right. interview. But... Right. I mean, obviously accessibility is just mm -hmm. you know and a loving challenge that i issue to fellow event producers is 
to really examine what it means if you say that your event is accessible and what thought have you put into that? Does that just mean the doorway looks wide to you and there's a bar in the bathroom? Or have you actually done some education about disability justice? Mm. Are you thinking about interpreters? Are you thinking about what kind of lighting there is? Are you thinking about if the venue is on a bus line or can only be reached by car? Are you thinking about if there's seating? And if so, are you prioritizing who the seating is for? Mm. Are you thinking about your performers in terms of who you find personally interesting? Or are you making a point of being as diverse as possible? And if you are trying to be diverse, how are you going about that? Are you just like expecting people of color to do the work to be available for you so you can get a gold star for being diverse? Or are you actually creating an event that they want to participate in, mm. where they feel genuinely welcomed and lifted up? Like, I feel like Portland is a city of really good intentions, genuine right. Right. good intentions, but not nearly enough attention in a general way to the impact of the choices that are actually made. If the fog machine is more important to you than anybody who might be made sick by the fog machine, what does that say about your politics? What does that say about your reason for having the event? Mm. And, and are, you know, it, like deeper thought, deeper right. work deeper anti-racist work, deeper disability justice work, you know, it's, <clears throat> it happens, it just, it takes a little while, but I feel like the intentional part of self-education and of being willing to step back and take up less space and listen and own our mistakes and try harder and, and continuing to do it, even if we are embarrassed that our ignorance was highlighted because ignorance mm -hmm. is is fixable right right but not if we're defensive about it you know um if someone says hey you stepped on my foot and you get caught up in defending the fact that you didn't mean to step on their foot <laughs> it doesn't stop their foot from hurting it just makes you you're just, you're just sucking all the air out of the room mm -hmm. and the person's not gonna want to let you stand next to them anymore you know like yeah, I just, I would like, I would very much like to see people be very intentional about the spaces that they're creating. Mm. How, who is it, who is it for, what's their agenda. And own it if it's, if it's not, yeah. if you're not actually inviting everybody, just own it so that we can know, those of us who aren't actually invited can know to just not bother um, participating or trying to participate, you know, be, be honest. Right. And I, and I think at least what I've noticed with artists in particular, myself included, is there's such a focus on the actual piece and the art itself that and then there's this this sort of philosophy of whoever comes comes and whoever sees it sees it and the audience will find my piece that needs to see my piece. But it's so important for us to hear this perspective that your audience might not even be able to see your piece. You might be in the way of your own audience if you're not being intentional about 
making your piece accessible to them. And I love what you're saying, which is more important to you, this piece or who's watching it? And being honest about that and reckoning with that so that you can make something, I guess, as you intend it, which if we're being right. honest, might not be intended to be watched by everyone. Right, and if that's, if that's what it is, just, just own it. Interesting. And if, you, yeah. if you're embarrassed to own it, then perhaps you should be embarrassed to do it that way. Right. And that's the real tea, y'all. <laughs> Ouch. Wow. Okay. And so. then, so, wow, this has just flown by. I'm riveted. <laughs> so our last sort of thing then is, what is your hope for the Portland art scene? And mm -hmm. I guess you're sort of getting into that with this questioning, this intentional focus on accessibility. But what, what's the dream for you of Portland art? That it continues on the trajectory that this situation has forced mm. of examining access and examining what it means to create a space and examining who's in the room and how that is shifted now that it's mm. virtual. Um, and speaking as a white person making art in Portland, um, get okay with the fact that it's not always our turn and mm. shouldn't be. I would like to see more white artists taking up less space. Mm. Um, and it might sound strange as someone who's creating art and, <laughs> and do, but I'm, and I'm not look, this is not about cookies or gold stars or anything. The work is to do the work for the sake that it's the right thing to do. But like, Pay attention. I would like to see white fellow white artists t pay attention to how much space we take up and how we take that for granted, that mm. we would have that space and that we would have that access, we would have those resources. Perhaps don't apply for that grant. Mm. Perhaps don't set ourselves up as the MC or the host or the only host or the, you know, perhaps make some space that's not a dig okay i'm absolutely being dragged on my own <laughs> podcast this white host no but you're absolutely right and you i know, have been thinking about that too well and, and when we have access that's a privilege use it mm. use it to create more access for more people right um you know so i would love to see more lifting up of of BIPOC folks, I would like to see more lifting up of disabled folks and elders and youth and trans women and people without economic privilege. And, you know, like I would like to see more of everybody else. Um, and I would like to see that done with intention. Mm. Not because it's the right, you know, it sounds good or it looks good on paper or I want people to think that I'm a good person or, you know, just like some real self-reckoning and some real deliberate sharing of resources. Um, mm. That's what I'd like to see. Wow. Well, you have certainly <laughs> given me a lot to think about. <laughs> um, and I hope all the artists listening as well. Thank you so much for being here, Saucity. This has been a fascinating interview. 
We really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Where can people find you online or yeah, where yep, do people online. Find you? <laughs> I basically live there. Um, so my <laughs> personal stuff, which is um, I do writing workshops and um, and I write things and I do sensitivity reading and all that kind of stuff is under Saucity Writes, which is easier than my last name to for Google and everybody else. So just SaucityWrites.com right. and Saucity Writes on social media. And then if you're interested in Dirty Queer, that would be um, DirtyQueer.com and Dirty Queer Journal on social media. Nice. Okay, very cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to spend this time with you. And thank you for creating this platform for conversations. It's important. Mm. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Creating Portland with me, Pearson Coons. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at CreatingPDX or on our website, CreatingPDX.com. This podcast was brought to you by Wolf and Thunder Productions and Golden Pride Productions. See you next time. Bye!